Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. wife's in the background saying hell to the nah to the nah 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 because the theme song goes like this now welcome to ratchet book club where we read hood classics and good classics i'm derek i am derek and i'm dope and i just thought that you should know it don't worry if you're not as dope as me because it's cool you can probably catch up right around the time after my death <laughs> I'm fucking with you. You can't catch up. Anyhow, 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. To quote the kids in the AAU tournaments, let's fucking go. Part three. Fight or it's Fright Night. I'm sorry. It says Fright Night. It does right here. And that's the name of the chapter. I just can't read that without thinking of the Migos. Pow. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, rumble, young nigga, rumble. Ice Cube put a nigga like me in the sheets, Ice Cube, knock him out. I don't need to know the words, fuck you niggas. Anyhow, part three, Fright Night, pow, pow. When the webs of the spider join, they can trap a lion. Ethiopian proverb. The hunter knows his prey. Nilotic proverb. No matter how long the night, the day is sure to come. Zairean proverb. Also Tupac. Tupac said that last one too. I don't know if it was on Keep Your Head Up, or if it was on Brenda's Got a Baby, or if it was on any of those other uplifting songs he did per album. Like he did one uplifting song per album, and then the rest of them were Fuck You Bitch. Let's talk about teen pregnancy and then the next song, Fuck You Bitch. Let's talk about, um, uh, you know, how women are just the, the most prized things, prized people in the world, and that single moms are the strongest people in the world, and then Fuck You Bitch. I don't even think he tried that shit <laughs> On all eyes on me. I think he, his, his, in his mind, his uplifting song on all eyes on me was I wonder why they call you bitch. And then fuck you bitch. Okay, let's go. He was uplifting before he went to death row though. One day I'm going to talk about that. Chapter 16. <clears throat> the emergency town meeting was scheduled to begin at four o'clock. But people did not begin filing in a New Life Baptist Church until 20 minutes after 4. For you white people out there, let me tell you that you're not allowed to laugh at that joke. You're not allowed to laugh at CP time. Because you know when white folks are late for shit? Let me tell you when white folks are late for shit. White folks are late for shit like when you're in the panel for a fucking job interview. And you leave motherfuckers sitting out there for like 30 minutes extra. And then you want us to just come in and not say, bitch, where the fuck were you? Y'all motherfuckers is late for doctor's appointments. When you're the goddamn doctor running 45 minutes to an hour late. I walked outside once and told the secretary of my doctor's office, if the doctor is not in here with me in this room in one and a half minutes and I set my timer, I am going to shit on her computer desk. 
she came immediately. And I I never went back. Because, I mean, really, what can you do once you threaten to shit on somebody's computer desk? Like, there's, I don't think there's any going back. That appointment was awkward as it was because I was there for, like, heart palpitations. There's no reason I need to shit on her desk. But there was no reason she needed to be late. Black folks are late getting to church and the parties. Do you know why we're late getting there? Because shit don't happen for the first 20 minutes. I went to my brother's house for a barbecue once. This motherfucker said the barbecue starts at 6. We were dumb enough to get there at 6. He was prepping the food at 6 o'clock. When I say prepping the food, I mean he was driving to the store to still get shit. And and, 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 and and seasoning shit to marinate it. And the food didn't go on to the grill until what? Like 8 o'clock? And the food wasn't actually done. The goddamn barbecue didn't start till 10. What the fuck is that? That's black people. Fuck you, white people. You cannot laugh at that joke. I mean, the last one, yeah, go for it. Knock yourself out. But the part in the story about the CP time, no. Keep your fucking mouth shut and donate to the show because you thought about giggling. Even in the middle of something like this, folks are on color people time, David thought, and could not repress a rueful smile. He and Nia sat together in a pew near the back of the sanctuary. He remembered when he had visited the church only a week ago. What a difference a few days can make. He had entered a strange new world. Yeah, in church it is a whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. Like, you are not allowed to tell folks you've been praying for an hour and a half. Trust me, I tried that. It does not work, because I snored. Fucking six-hour church. The past few hours had been busy. They'd had a meeting at the police station with the town's leaders, and they had convinced them that they faced a citywide health crisis that demanded immediate action. They accomplished this without stating the word vampire. David shared Chief Jackson's sentiment that without proof, no one will believe their far-fetched story of supernatural beasts roaming Mason's Corner. They offered the leaders the more palatable story of a fast-spreading, rabies-like virus that affected canines and humans. Dr. Green, Franklin's physician, supported the idea, which helped his comrades fall in the line. Together, they outlined a simple but effective plan that they would roll out to the residents in the town meeting. To notify everyone in the afternoon's discussion, David, Naya, Jalil, and his friend Polk had traveled throughout town distributing hundreds of flyers that Naya had designed and printed at Kinko's. Remember them? Remember needing Kinko's and, 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 and FedEx? Like, not the shipping, but like their printing? God, do y'all still do that? Ooh, I went in there once... And they charge somebody like a dollar for a piece of tape. I'm good. I'm cool. They charge somebody else for internet access, which, okay, you know, I can understand that back then. But they charge them like $3 a minute. The fuck can I do in a minute? I mean, this is explicit. Y'all know what I can do in a minute if I'm motivated, right? 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 Okay, cool. Let's go. Due to the Labor Day holiday, most people were home, fortunately, and received the information. The Flyers announced a meeting time, location, and topic, which was, look, I don't want y'all to think that I can have sex with my wife in a minute. Like, she's good. She's really good, and we're really good together. But I like to take my time when I'm with my wife. When I'm by myself, though? Ooh, man, I got shit to do. Like, let's set the timer. Let's get this cracking. Um, but when I'm with her... I just want to take it nice and slow. Are those the lyrics? That's Usher. That's Usher. My wife confirmed. That's that's Usher. The Flyers announced the meeting time, location, and topic, which was health emergency in Mason's Corner. What you must do now. The Flyers stressed the critical importance of attending the meeting, but for those who are unable to attend, Jackson had arranged a hotline, a voice message on his cell phone, in which he outlined the basis of the threat and what residents must do to ensure their safety. Again, they avoided mention of the word vampire. 
David hoped that they were not doing the townspeople a disservice by concealing the true nature of the crisis. He was eager to hear what people would say at the meeting when the floor opened for discussion. Undoubtedly, others had witnessed things that defied explanation. Diallo and his clan have been very busy lately. Their last task had been stockpiling tools and weapons. They had a war ahead of them and could not wait in a battle unarmed. They had delved into their collective resources and prepared the best that they could. David only hoped it would be enough. He checked his watch. 425. It was about four hours until nightfall, and they still had a great deal to accomplish. A steady stream of people flowed into the church. David recognized many faces. Several folks greeted him as they filed past. Reverend Brown had volunteered his church as the meeting location. The sanctuary could seat about 300 and could accommodate more if the pews grew full and people had to stand. David and the others had placed a second flyer on the seats. This particular flyer outlined the fundamentals of what was going on and the action plan. Snatches of conversation floated his way. People were reading the document and speculating. An hour ago, he had called the hospital to check in on Franklin. Ruby said he was asleep and had not awakened since they had visited him that morning. David cautioned her to be careful, but he knew she would never leave her husband, even if he attacked her in an inhuman frenzy. He shivered. Why hasn't Mama come yet? Naya looked around. I asked her to be here at four. She's never late. I'm sure she's on her way, David said. I hope so. I'm going to call her if she isn't here in five minutes. At the front of the church, Chief Jackson, the mayor, the county sheriff, Dr. Green, and Reverend Brown sat in a row of tall chairs in the chancel. Jackson read his watch, glanced at the other leaders, and they nodded. Jackson approached the pulpit. He cleared his throat, adjusted the microphone closer to his lips. <clears throat> All right, folks. Thank you for coming to this meeting on short notice and on your holiday. I expect more folks will be coming in, but we got to get started. We're facing something I ain't never seen in this town, and I've been here in Dark Corner all my life, like a lot of you. Let me run down the basics for you. Junior Hodges sat in the middle pew, fidgeting. He wore his overalls and boots, and he felt out of place coming to church dressed as he was, though no one else was dressed in their Sunday best either. Mama had taught him that whenever you entered the house of the Lord, you had to wear the best clothes you could afford. Who the fuck started that stupid-ass idea? Swear to God, there is nothing worse than church shoes. Like they build them to be torturous. And to be forced to wear those fuckers with them stupid-ass nylon-thin socks... Fuck you! I mean, slacks are cool. I used to wear slacks at school once every quarter. Like, just to fuck with people's minds. Look, ugly people. While it's on my mind. It's okay if I call you ugly because no one else is looking at you. It's a fucking podcast. But if you looked up in the mirror at yourself while you were driving. Anyhow, ugly people. Here's how to not look ugly all the time. Let your hair grow out. Like, let it grow out all patchy and bushy and all that kind of shit. Let it grow out, like, like supremely. And then, when niggas least expect it, shave that shit off. They're going to be like, dude, you look different. You look good. You look great. And then you're going to have that new haircut swag. You know, that, that swag that makes you think that, that you actually ain't ugly no more. While that swag is still on, that's when you should go after a promotion. <laughs> Also, you're not ugly to your mom. <sighs> Junior owned a navy blue suit that he had worn for years. But the woman, Naya, who pressed the flyer in his hand while he was cutting grass, told him that this wasn't a worship service. It was a town meeting, and he could come dressed as he was. He took her suggestion, but he felt uncomfortable anyway. Especially with Reverend Brown sitting up there. Junior read the flyer he had picked up from the seat. It talked about a health emergency, a virus, and how dogs and people seemed to be the ones who caught it. 
You could be infected if a sick dog bit you or if a person who had the illness bit you too. The ones who were sick were in so much pain they might hurt you, the paper said. If you knew someone who seemed to be acting sick lately, who was sleeping all the time and not leaving the house, you were supposed to write their name on a list that would be passed around. Those people would then get proper medical care, whatever that meant. Junior knew at least five people who were sick. Vicky Queen was one of them. Earlier, he'd visited her house to offer to trim her hedges, something he did every now and then, and her mama answered the door. Her mama said Vicky was sick and in the bed. Junior cut the hedges anyway, for free. It made him feel better. What worried Junior most of all was that he had the feeling that this health emergency had something to do with the work he and Andre had done at the Mason place. Nothing had been right in the town since they had dug open that cave. Maybe they let out the virus. The scary man in black seemed like the sort of fellow who was up to no good. The pews were filling up. He didn't see Andre or his father. The last time Junior had seen Pa, his father was sleeping off a hangover at home. And Andre, well, he didn't know where he was. Probably somewhere getting high. Junior turned his attention to Chief Jackson. The chief was running down the stuff on the flyer. Trying to keep this in layman's terms, see? The chief said. We got Doc Green here if you want him to lay it out for you with big medical words. Like I said, we think it's a virus, like rabies. Get it when you get bit. Dogs are running around doing the biting, but people might bite you too, if they've been bit and got infected. They're sick and ain't themselves. A teenage girl who sat near Junior was frowning. It sounds kind of like vampires, doesn't it? She said. It sure does, Junior said, and thought again of the man in black. He felt a chill, just like vampires. Emma May Taylor allowed her sister, Lily, to drag her to the town meeting. Earlier, she banged on Emma's door like she lost her mind, then shoved a green flyer in her face. If you got any sense, you'll go to this, Lily had said. You need to come out of that house and up from under that man and learn about the evil that's running through this town. I got me some gardening to do. Emma said. She had gotten one of those flyers about the medical whatever happening in town. Some meddling fool had slid her under her door, and Emma had skimmed it, then thrown it away. Emergency? Please. It was all a matter of perspective. She didn't let things get under her skin like most people did. She was cool. Emma May, you come out of there or I'm going to drag you out, Lily said. Her eyes narrowed. I'm sick and tired of you not caring what's going on here. You need to learn for your own good and for that man you're so crazy about. All right, all right, I'll go. Damn you a pain in the ass. Let me fix my hair. Emma spun away from the door, not bothering to invite Lily inside. Lily was a cleaning freak and would start criticizing Emma about cleaning her house. And Emma didn't feel like hearing it. After she fixed her hair, she checked on blood. He had been under the weather all day. She was sure it was because some mud had bitten him last night when he was leaving the bar. She'd taken him to the emergency room to get a rabies shot. Afterward, the doctor wanted Blood to stay there, but Blood hated hospitals and begged Emma to take him home. She couldn't say no to him, so she brought him home against the doctor's protest. Since then, Blood had been running a slight fever and sleeping like a log. Medical emergency, she thought, with a pang of anxiety. She didn't like leaving him alone in the house. We gonna stay at this meeting one hour and that's it, Emma said to Lily coming outside. I got to get back. I got things to do. Where's blood, Lily said. He needs to come too. Um, he's got a hangover and he's sleeping it off. Hmm. I ain't surprised, Lily said. Emma let her snide remark pass. Blood's condition was none of her sister's business. Lily ran her mouth too damn much. Now she sat beside Lily in the church, where she hadn't been since Mama had died eight years ago, as Chief Jackson explained what was happening. A virus passed by a bite from a dog or a person. Now that was some upsetting shit. 
Emma couldn't stop thinking about blood. We're going to set up a special area in the hospital to keep all the folks who've been bit, the chief said. Kind of like a quarantine. We need to put them there so we can keep an eye on them. Make sure that they're getting the care they need. Make sure the infection don't spread too. So if there's anybody in your house who's been bit, we want you to fill out the sheet that we're passing around. And if your friend or your neighbor's been bit, we want to know that too. Doc Green's crew is going to come pick them up and take them to the hospital. A paper attached to a clipboard was thrust in front of Emma. At least a half dozen names were scribbled on the list. They were all people she knew. Damn. But Blood didn't want to stay in the hospital. And she wasn't going to make them. Hell, how does she know what was really going on? They might be planning to operate on them folks that got taken into quarantine. Or they might pump some kind of drugs into them. It could be the government running biological weapon experiments or some shit. She didn't trust these people. She'd keep blood at home and take care of him herself. Pressing her lips together, she passed a clipboard to Lily. COVID! Naya had not seen her mother enter the church. It was not like Mama to be late, and Mama would have never skipped something as important as this meeting. If nothing else, it would have given her some fresh gossip to share with her friends. I'm going outside to call Mama, she whispered to David. She still isn't here. Are you sure? He said. There's a couple hundred people in here. She could have slipped in when you weren't looking. I'm positive. I'll be right back. She's positive because black folks who go to church like every Sunday in black churches have what they call reserve seats in a place where there's no fucking reserve seating. And they will fight a motherfucker over their reserve seats where there's no reserve seating in a church where there's no reserve seating. Literally will tell you this is my seat. Me and my father have sat here for years, and when you ask who their daddy is, they look at you like they, like you stupid, and they have the fucking audacity to say God. Bitch, if you don't let me sit my tired ass down on this hard ass pew with no goddamn cushions, I will throw a red hymnal at your ass. Motherfuckers getting mad because the person three hours back from them Got the same dress on that they got on. Like y'all don't shop at the same goddamn Ross. Nigga, I seen that sundress too. I just can't fit it. Because I'm husky. Motherfuckers. So anyway. <clears throat> at the pulpit, Dr. Green had come to stand beside Chief Jackson and was delivering his jargon-filled theory of the virus. He sounded so convincing and knowledgeable that Naya would have believed him herself if she had not seen the vampires with her own eyes. In the lobby, Naya used her cell phone to call her house. The phone rang five times, then the answer machine picked up. Naya ended the call and tried again. Still no answer. She looked through the lobby's glass doors and at the parking lot, which was full of cars. She did not see her mother's green Chrysler. Maybe Mama was on her way. But the church is only three minutes away from the house. Mama could have left home and arrived there in the time the Naya had been standing in the lobby. There was never any traffic to speak of in Mason's Corner. Unless it was a funeral procession. Her gut clenched. As she debated her next move, David pushed through the wooden sanctuary doors. Is everything okay? He said. Mama's not answering the phone. I'm worried. You want to swing by the house to check? Yes, but you can't leave, David. Jackson needs you here. Remember our plan. Yeah. David bit his lip. It's daylight, she said. I'll be okay. I have my cell, and you're wearing yours too. I'll call you if anything happens. Be careful. He handed her the keys to the Pathfinder. I'll hurry back. Promise. She kissed him quickly and rushed outside. Jalil and Poke sat in a pew at the back of the church. Jalil had thought he'd be bored by hearing his dad and the other people discuss what was happening, but he was on the tip of his seat, listening. He had never seen Dad address a group of people this large. Dad spoke with authority, in a no-bullshit tone, and people paid attention. Before today, Jalil had been quick to downplay his dad's job. He was a police chief in a tiny town where nothing ever happened, 
So what? Anyone could have done his job. Or so he thought. To see Dad up there leading these people, it made something kick inside Jalil. A long-forgotten piece of him stirred. It was something like admiration, awe even, of his dad. He remembered a time, as a young kid, when he used to think Dad was the most amazing man in the world, stronger than any superhero, smarter than any scientist. Can you lift a car, Dad? Jalil had asked him once. And Dad had said, Reckon I could, son, if doing it meant saving you and your mother. Jalil's eyes grew watery. He quickly rubbed them dry. But Pope didn't notice. The boy was sucking his thumb. He had been sucking his thumb like a lollipop since T-Bone had vanished last night. Like Doc Green said, Dad said, We've been on the line with some top people in Memphis. They're sending a crew of experts our way soon. Meantime, we got to handle things properly. After we open up for some questions, we're going to ask for volunteers for our citizens' patrol teams. Got to have able-bodied men and women to help us here. After Chief Jackson finished explaining that they will be soliciting volunteers for the citizen patrol teams, the teams David would command at the end of the meeting, the mayor, Cleotus Davis, came forward. He spoke briefly about the townspeople pulling together to help one another out and how we're all one big family, and toss in a couple other newsworthy sound bites. The county sheriff, Johnny Chaser, talked a minute about how he'd use the county's resources to help them out. Then Reverend Brown arrived at the pulpit and talked about what God might have planned for Mason's Corner, and how in times of distress, one could reach a profound understanding of God's grace, and so on and so forth. David tapped his leg. It was already a quarter after five, and they had a lot of work ahead of them. This meeting was supposed to be focused and brief as possible and last no longer than an hour. But it was nearing the hour-long point, and they hadn't opened the floor for questions yet, which David anticipated would be the lengthiest part of the discussion. That's what you get! You never want to trust black churches to do anything within an hour. Shit don't work. It don't happen. They can't even say the name of the church within three minutes. Congregation, I want to thank y'all today for coming to Heavenly Father Baptist. Beloved, Lord help us. Y'all look so good today. All of y'all out there look like chicken. Redeem a soul. Of the salvation, Lord. Lord, bless us all in this house as we walk with you in our time of need. Bless the cows in the field and the grass that feeds the cows. Holy sanctuary, gospel, grace of God, Kajik, which means church of God. And Lord, I love you in Christ. And where was Naya? She had left almost 15 minutes ago and had not called him. He hadn't liked letting her leave alone. He felt that they were at risk at all hours of the day, not only at night. But she had been determined. Besides, she was right. The chief needed him there to round up the citizen patrol teams. He blew out a tight breath. He would wait a few more minutes and then call Naya if she did not contact him. At the pulpit... The reverend concluded his speech, and Jackson came forward again. All right now, Jackson said. We're ready to take questions. We got some microphones at the end of the aisles all around the church, so please step to the mic when you talk so everyone can hear you. The afternoon sky was gunmetal gray as Naya zoomed down Main Street. Please let Mama be all right, she prayed. She practically stood on the brake she screeched to a stop in front of her house. Her mother's Chrysler was parked in its usual place under the carport, but an unfamiliar car was parked behind it, a blue Ford Thunderbird with Texas plates. Colin Morgan, her former teacher colleague, her stalker. It couldn't be him. He didn't know where she lived. But he called her a couple days ago, hadn't he? 
and her number was unlisted. Somehow, he'd shattered her shell security. Don't freak out. It could be someone else, and Mama could have been outdoors and not heard the phone ring. Nye carried her own gun, a Beretta thirty-two, in her purse. She unzipped her purse for quick access. As she walked down the path to the front door, she expected to see her dog, Princess, appear in the window and start barking excitedly. But the curtains remained still. Perhaps the dog was asleep. Naya inserted her key in the lock at the front door and turned it. She slid her hand inside the bag, curled her fingers around the cool gun handle. With her other hand, she twisted the doorknob and nudged the door. It creaked open. Mama was in the living room. She was bound to a dining room chair with several lengths of duct tape. Tape covered her mouth too. A purple-black bruise marked her eye and her hair was in disarray. Morgan reclined on the sofa. He looked much like he had when she had last seen him. Tall, lean, brown-skinned, with intense eyes. The only difference was that he had grown a thick beard. A large, sharp knife rested beside his leg. It's about time you came home, Morgan said. I've been here chatting with my future mother-in-law for a while and wonder when you'd decide to show your pretty face, Miss James. Nia's throat was dry. She could not summon sufficient saliva to speak. Mama's eyes were wild, and she was trying to talk, but the tape held back her frantic words. Morgan smiled. You're looking mighty fine, Miss James. Sure were worth the drive from Houston. He patted the seat cushion. Come sit over here so we can get reacquainted. Nia didn't move. She finally said, You hurt Mama. Morgan picked up the knife. I told you to come sit over here, Miss James. You know I don't like to repeat myself. Don't act like one of my hard-headed students. The Nia that Morgan had known prior to his incarceration would have lowered her head in defeat and shuffled to sit beside him while desperately trying to connive a way out of her bind. But that night was gone. The events of the past several days had turned her nerves to iron. She drew the gun and gripped it with both hands, as she had learned. Put down the knife, asshole, she said. Morgan's mouth dropped open like a trap door. The blade slipped out of his hand. Behind the tape, Mama sounded like she was squealing in shock. You, you won't, you won't shoot me, Morgan said, his voice shaky. Then, more confidently, I know you don't have what it takes to look me in my eye and pull the trigger. Don't test me, Nye's finger tightened on the trigger. You don't know what I've been dealing with lately. I promise you, I will shoot you. Morgan's hand fidgeted near the knife, but he did not pick it up. He appeared uncertain, cocky machismo wavering. Get on the floor, on your knees, Naya said. Put your hands in the air. Instead of kneeling, as she ordered, he stood, hands raised. I'm going to leave, Miss James, he said. We're going to resume this discussion later. Unless you prefer to kill me in cold blood, he smirked. She itched to shoot him. She really did. But as Morgan walked past her and towards the door, keeping a distance of several feet between them, she did not fire. She ground her teeth. Morgan pushed through the door and went outside. Naya lowered the gun. Outside, Morgan backed his car out of the driveway and roared down the road. Naya locked the door, stuffed the gun in her purse, and went to Mama. Oh, Mama, I'm so sorry, Naya said. Tears streamed down her cheeks. She gently pulled away the duct tape from her mother's mouth. I'm all right. Mama's voice was raspy. Are you okay, baby? Naya hugged Mama tightly. I'm going to cut you loose and put something on that eye, Naya said. She paused. Did Morgan do anything else to you? No. 
That asshole was saving his energy for you, Mama said. Pardon my French. He's an evil man. I wish you'd shot him. God help me. The police will get him, Naya said, though she doubted that capturing Morgan would be a priority in light of everything else going on. Naya found a knife in the kitchen. She did not want to touch the blade Morgan had handled and sliced through the tape that bound her mother. Mama, where's Princess? I would have expected her to protect you. Princess ran off when I let her out to pee. Some mangy looking mutt walked by and Princess chased after it. Matter of fact, I was out front calling for her when that evil man pulled up. Oh no. Princess had never run away before. She was an obedient, sweet-tempered dog. Naya wanted to look for Princess, but time was short. Night was coming. She hoped her dog would turn up, but she had her doubts. The streets weren't safe for dogs anymore. The streets weren't safe for anyone anymore. Her face must have given away her troubled emotions, because Mama said, Naya, what's going on in our town? Mama, I want you to stay with Aunt Loretta for a few days, Naya said. Her aunt lived in South Haven, a safe distance from Dark Corner. I promise I'll tell you what's going on soon, but you have to leave right away. Will you please do that for me? Okay. Fear brightened Mama's eyes. Are you coming with me? I have to stay here and help David and some other people. I'll be okay. Don't worry. David, I'm sorry I was mean to that boy. You seem so happy since you've met him. He's a good man, Mama, and he has to do something very important. He needs my help. Mama hugged herself. I'm scared, baby. I don't know what's going on, but I'm scared. Naya wrapped her mother in her arms. So am I. Jackson thought they had done a pretty fair job of educating the town folks about what was going on in the dark corner and what the people should do without giving them away the frightening truth that surely would have driven the crowd into a panic of disbelief, fear, and superstition. But 20 plus years of working with the public had taught him that even if you explain something as clear as glass, people will have questions. When he opened up the floor to the audience, he gripped the edge of the pulpit and braced himself for the worst. Out of the hundreds of people in the church, his cousin, Elmer, was the first to get a microphone. Hitching up his pants, his sleeves rolled up around his chubby forearms, Elmer hurried to the mic positioned in the middle of the sanctuary. His bald head glistened in the fluorescent light. Jackson dreaded giving his cousin a chance to speak in public, but he had to be fair. He pointed towards Elmer and said, Go ahead, Elmer. Elmer cleared his throat. I don't know what other folks in here think, but I think y'all got it all wrong. You say a virus in our town and you don't know where it came from. I know where it came from. The federal government. They're using our town for experiments. Christ, Jackson thought. Leave it up to Elmer to open up the government conspiracy box. Members of the crowd nodded in agreement. We ain't none but guinea pigs for them, Elmer said. They don't care about the welfare of a town full of black folks. Bet it's some kind of biological weapon they're testing out. Far as they're concerned, we're expendable. A black life ain't never meant shit to Uncle Sam. Like Tuskegee, Alabama, a man said. Remember those syphilis experiments they did on the brothers back in the day? AIDS started off as a government experiment over in Africa, another man said. They don't care about us. Murmurs of agreement swept through the group. Elmer cracked a smug grin and folded his arms as if to say, What you gonna say to that, cuz? Jackson clenched his teeth. All right, Jackson said. Say it is an experiment by some government outfit. What do you think we should do about it, Elmer? Elmer cleared his throat. <clears throat> well, um, well... Maybe call it the NAACP. In stage of March, huh? Jackson said. Meanwhile, folks getting bitten, falling down sick. The chief got a point, a woman said. For once, Elmer didn't have a comeback. Jackson hurried to move past him. 
He pointed to a young woman on the right. Next question. Your turn, miss. She stepped to the microphone. She was a cute girl, maybe no older than 20, and wore a plain blue dress and thick glasses. I'll be frank, the girl said. I'm scared. I've been having nightmares for the past week, and my own dog, Pete, has become like one of those infected dogs that you mentioned. He isn't a normal dog anymore, and he ran away from home. I don't think it's a virus or a government plot. I think it's evil. Something evil and supernatural is in our town, and I know I can't be the only one in here who's felt it. Be honest with yourselves. Silence fell over the crowd. Coolness tapped Jackson's spine. Had he underestimated what the people were willing to believe? Be honest with yourselves. He felt exposed as a liar. What good was he doing these people by hiding the truth? The young lady was right. Anyone with the pulse could feel that something evil and unnatural had taken root in the town. Be honest. The devil's walking in the dark corner, a man shouted. We got a call on the Lord, a woman cried. Only he can deliver us. An outburst of clapping and shouts of amen followed. Jackson drummed the pulpit. What the hell have I got to lose by telling the truth, he thought. By nightfall, they're going to see the proof themselves. He saw Jalil in the back of the church. His son was nodding. So was David. As if they understood his dilemma and encouraged him to lay the full story on the audience. To hell with it. I'm going to unload. Okay. Going to be straight with you folks, he said. It is evil. To the core. I've seen proof myself. What we're dealing with is something you might not want to believe, but I owe it to you to be honest. We got vampires here in Dark Corner. Gas and exclamations of shock erupted from the audience. But surprisingly, a lot of folks nodded as though pleased at Jackson to put their nameless fear into words. Jackson checked behind him. The members of the leadership team gaped at him as if he had gone crazy. He might be jeopardizing his job by telling people about vampires, but so be it. Besides, no one tried to stop him. Maybe, in their secret thoughts, they perceived the chilling truth too. He continued to speak. Took me some time to swallow the truth, he said. But I saw one of them myself, and I bet some of you in here have seen them too. We don't think too many of our people are turning to the vampires yet, but a lot of the dogs have. Yep, you heard me right. Some of the hounds are working for the vampires. Understand, they ain't normal dogs. They're smart, vicious, and tough. I shot three of them with a 12-gauge shotgun, and those mutts got up five minutes later and came after me again. Curses of surprise and frightened looks came from the crowd. Break it down, brother, a man said. Go ahead, chief, a woman urged. Jackson bent closer to the microphone. I don't claim to know everything about these monsters. But I know they ain't exactly like what you've seen in the movies. They do feed on blood. But these dogs I told you about, well, if one of them bites you, you can get sick and change into one of the vampires. And it looks like crosses, holy water, and religious stuff don't hurt them none either. The strongest ones can walk around during the day. The only way you can kill them for sure is with fire. Guns don't work. Wooden stakes don't work. Knives don't work. You gotta burn them to ashes. Throughout the church, people scribbled notes. A woman sitting in one of the front pews raised her hand. Is there a master vampire, like in the movies? Someone has to be responsible for starting in the first place. Jackson paused. Yeah, I guess there is one. No one's seen him yet, but we know he's out there. We gonna find him and take care of him, I promise you. But look... Everything we said about the virus and what we need to do, that ain't changed. We're asking folks to stay in the house. Only come outside for an emergency. Keep your doors locked and your windows shut. Stay away from dogs and keep your own dogs pinned up in the house. We still need you to tell to folks who might have been sick lately, because they're the ones who might change. We're going to quarantine the sick people at the hospital so we can watch over them and make sure they don't hurt anyone. You going to burn them up? A man said. You said that's the only way to kill him was to burn him. My wife's been sick all day. You gonna put her in the hospital and burn her? 
Jackson Swallow. I didn't I didn't say we were going to do that. But that's what you're implying, chief. Jackson stammered. Now hold on. But more questions and angry shouts pelted him. You can't be killing our people, man. Where'd the head vampire come from? We need to set the town on fire. Ain't nothing here, no way. I'm leaving town as soon as I get out of here. You full of shit, chief. You don't know what the hell's going on. What about my little girl who's been sick? The chaotic energy boiling in the church made Jackson dizzy. People stood in the aisles and pews, eyes bulging, mouths yapping. Other people grabbed the microphones and shouted into them. Their voices jumbled together. Some people were beginning to argue with one another. An older woman smacked a younger lady in the mouth. In another pew, two guys were starting to wrestle, knocking over others in the process. Still more people were on their knees at the altar, praying loudly, tears streaming down their face. Jackson turned. Even the mayor, physician, sheriff, and pastor were barking with one another. Pandemonium was what Jackson had feared. He shouted for order. He hammered the pulpit with his fist. No one paid him any mind. So he unholstered his three fifty seven Magnum, raised it skyward, and fired. The gun boomed like a cannon. Chips of wood rang from the ceiling and showered the floor. Everyone froze, as if zapped by a magic spell. Listen to me, Jackson said. We've got to stay calm and stick together. We ain't got no time for foolishness. Because just like in the movies, these vampires do come out at night. Now he really had their attention again. He dramatically tapped the face of his watch. We've got less than three hours till dusk. That ain't a lot of time for us to do what we gotta do. Like I was saying, Doc Green's team is going to drive around and pick up the folks that are sick and take them to the hospital. So you need to put the names of the sick on that list we're passing around. Don't keep it secret. I'm warning you. Might wind up with something on your hands that you ain't prepared to handle. Next, David Hunter, please come forward. David rose from a pew near the rear of the church and walked down the center aisle. Astonished murmurings of, look, that's Richard Hunter's boy, followed him. Jackson, for his part, was pleased with how David handled himself. The kid looked strong and capable, like a born leader. In front, David faced the audience, hands on his waist, like a man ready to take care of business. Hunter is heading up our citizen patrol teams, Jackson said. Why? Because he knows more about these vampires than anyone in this building. His family fought them before. Long, interesting story that maybe he'll share with you one day. We need at least 20 volunteers for our teams. If you volunteer, you'll be put in a small group, and at night you'll either be patrolling the streets or put at different locations. We'll keep in touch with walkie-talkies. You'll get more information at our patrol team meeting later. Anyone who's interested, stay here after we dismiss this meeting, and you'll be part of the team. We need you. If you ain't volunteering, then we need you to show some common sense. We've only got each other. Look out for one another. Stay in the house at night. Run to and from your car if you gotta go somewhere. Don't go nowhere alone. Now more than ever, we gotta be true brothers and sisters, you hear me? We've only got each other. They ain't sending in no National Guard or the FBI, and the state and county police probably ain't gonna be much help either. We've only got each other, but each other's all we need. Applause broke out. Jackson straightened, a warm feeling spreading through him. David gave him the thumbs up sign. In the back of the church, Jalil clapped too. If we can keep this unity, we'll win this, Jackson thought. Sure as hell we will. Vampires can't stop a people united. He felt a hand on his shoulder. It was Reverend Brown. The pastor smiled. Well said, Chief, he said. Sorry about your ceiling, Reverend, Jackson said sheepishly. You'll find the repair bill in the mail tomorrow, Reverend Brown said and chuckled. He put his arm around Jackson and leaned closer to the microphone. For those who are interested, we're having a night of prayer, praise, and fellowship here at New Life Baptist. I bet you're having a fucking offering, too. I bet. I bet they're going to have an offering. Reverend Brown said, We'll be here from 8 o'clock this evening until 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. 
worshiping our all-powerful God, these vampires, these servants of the devil, will not breach the house of the Lord. You're invited to come here and be safe. Another wave of applause and shouts of amen. Well, anyone who want a party can come to my place, a woman cried into a microphone. Jackson recognized her. Emma May Taylor, an older woman. She was always throwing wild card parties and playing loud music. A thin, elderly woman tried to snatch the microphone out of Emma's hands, and Emma pushed her away. Shut your mouth, Lily. I'm just inviting folks. With all the shit going on here, we need a little sunshine. I'm at 2147 Coldwater Lane. We're going to have chicken and ribs and booze and music and be playing cards all night. So come on by, y'all. Jackson hastened to get the mic before chaos broke out again. Okay, everybody, that's it. Volunteers, please stay behind. Everyone else, go on home. Thanks for coming. May the Lord be with us all. There was a final smattering of applause. Then people started to file down the aisles to the exit doors, chatting all the way. Jackson was pleased to see that a couple dozen people remained seated. They would need all the help they could get. With the strong team, they had an honest-to-goodness chance to win it. He would not allow himself to think otherwise. It was 10 minutes to 6 o'clock. Night would fall shortly after 8. Time was ticking away. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast You can also donate at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast um, Or on the Good Pods app uh, You can donate to the tip jar uh, All donations go towards buying books for Ratchet Book Club And also movies for hindsight uh, you can leave a review on Podchaser and then copy that and paste it into the Apple Podcasts app and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. And thank you to each and every one of y'all who are checking us out on Good Pods and also on Podchaser. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Thank you all so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. Um, y'all be good. Gonna holler at you later. Peace. The intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you listen.